Well, good morning, y'all. That said, let's reach out and take it. That's the name of the message today, and you'll 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 figure out what that means in a, in a little while. But my name is Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm one of the pastors on our staff at Church on the Trail. I'm I am super thankful that y'all are here. And there is a lot of places that you could be on a Sunday morning, and it also is cool in here. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, it was not cool in here. It was about 85 degrees because the blower, the blower, the, I'm not an HVAC guy, the blower thingy on the air conditioner was broken, but they fixed it, and it feels good in here, so I'm thankful for that as well. And it's not as crazy hot outside as it's been. Anyway, y'all could be a lot of places in your here, and if you're watching online or if you're here, I'm, I'm in Really, really grateful that you are here um, to worship together, to fellowship together, to praise the Lord together, and, and I'm just thankful. So y'all, you know, there's a story that Elizabeth Elliot told. Elizabeth Elliot was a missionary, she and her husband. She died in 2015, but she was a missionary, she and her husband in Ecuador. In fact, her husband in 1956 was speared to death in the jungle in Ecuador, and Elizabeth Elliot, how many of y'all, raise your hand if you've heard of her. Unbelievable, mission-minded lady and her. It's like the theme of Elizabeth Elliot's life was that she just passionately loved Jesus. Well, she told this story all the time, and, and it really is, if you will, it's, it was a fable. But it was a story that she told about the day that, that Jesus asked his disciples to carry some stones, to carry some rocks. In the morning, he told them to find a stone and to carry that stone all day long. And, of course, they went and found the lightest, littlest one they could find and carried that all day. Well, when the night was coming and they're sitting around the fire, they made camp. At dinner time, they asked, uh, they asked the Lord, what do, what do we do with these, these stones? And, and he said, I'm glad you asked. He said, I'm going to turn those stones into bread, and that's going to be your dinner. And so as each one of the disciples ate a few bites little bites that they kind of carried throughout the day. They pledged that that ain't never going to happen uh, again. Well, sure enough, the next day rolls around, and Jesus asked them again in the morning to pick up some stones and carry them all day, and what a day that was. Elizabeth tells this story. She says, what a day that was that dragging these heavy boulders around, you know, all day long with this anticipation of this massive, huge meal. Well, when they made camp, the disciples asked the same question, of Jesus, and this time, though, his answer was a little different. He said, uh-oh, those stones, just throw them over there in the pile. We don't really need them anymore. And so when the you-gotta-be-kidding-me stopped and when the whining and, and kind of complaining had died down, he asked his disciples one question. He said, who are you carrying the stones for? Who are you carrying the stones for? Are you carrying the stones for my sake or are you carrying the stones for your sake? Y'all, here's the deal. Effective missionaries pastors, deacons, elders, Bible teachers, Sunday school teachers. The bottom line is disciples of all kinds. They do what they do for the glory of Christ and not for themselves, not for their own benefit. Everything that we do, we are doing for his glory and for the sake of Christ. And so, y'all, we've been in, in, uh, in Acts chapter 13 for, for a few weeks now other than Father's Day. We're going to finish up chapter 13 today, and, and I'm going to kind of go back to the beginning a little bit of, of 13. You know, in that chapter, Paul and, and, and Barnabas, they left home to travel for Jesus' sake. They got into a confrontation with this crazy 
sorcerer dude. Well, they got in that confrontation for Jesus' sake. They proclaimed the gospel to hesitant Jews for Jesus' sake. And we're going to see here today, toward the end of chapter 13, that they endured persecution at Antioch in Pisidia. And if you remember, uh, they, the, this missionary journey was launched out of, out of Antioch in Syria, and now they're in Antioch in Pisidia. And, and among other things, you're going to see today that they endure some persecution there. Well, they endure the persecution for, for Jesus' sake. You know, but the, the result of that was not pain and whining and complaining. We're going to see down at the end that the, the result was rejoicing. Rejoice, even at the difficulty that happened there, it was rejoicing. And I must say that maybe you and I got to consistently ask ourselves the same question about the difficulties of life and the trials of life and the, and the junk of life. Who are we carrying the stones for? Are we carrying the stones for ourselves or are we carrying the, stone, the stones for Jesus? Because only when we see Jesus at the center of every single thing that we do, only when our motives center on how to best serve him, you know, only when we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us up the way he did Paul and Barnabas in the book of Acts, will we really be able to say, today I carried the stones for him. Y'all pray with me. Lord, we love you today, and we thank you for your grace and mercy, your love. We thank you that you're in the fire with us every day. And we are so undeserving of it. Lord, we're so not worthy of you. But you love us anyway. You love us, Lord, in the middle of our sin. And we are so thankful for that. Lord, I'd ask that you'd be with us this morning as we kind of have a conversation about your word. Lord, as we look at at this, this first journey, this first missionary journey that your sons Paul and Barnabas led, Lord, let us not hear your word just to, to check off some box. Let us not hear your word and talk about your word just to say that we have memorized something. Lord, let it transform our life. Let it change what we do when we walk out of this building. Let it change relationships. Lord, let it change eternities. And we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. So y'all, so again, we're in Acts 13 and we're starting in verse 42 today. And what we're going to see here in the rest of chapter 13, there's two major things that we'll see in these, I don't know, 10 or 11 verses. We're going to see the people's response to the gospel, number one. And number two, we're going to see the preacher's response to the people. So the first thing is this, and this is in your worship guide. If you don't have a worship guide, Raise your hand, and we want to get one in your, in your hands. But the first thing we're going to see is the people's response to the gospel. If you remember, a couple of weeks ago, Paul had just preached in the, in the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch. Paul had just preached a message, and, and this is the only, the message Paul preaches in Acts 13, it's the only full message that Paul preached in the New Testament that is recorded in the New Testament. So Paul had just preached this message, and they're leaving, everybody's leaving the, the, their worship services over, and they're leaving the synagogue. And so the first few verses, starting in verse 42, 
Acts 13, 42 should be on the screen behind me, yeah. It says, as they went out, the people, well, the people, what, what people? I believe based on context, I believe based on the language that is used in, in verse 42, that the people that are being referred to in this part of Acts 13, they're Gentiles. In fact, your translation that you read, this is the ESV, the King James, the New King James, and some other translations don't even translate that word in verse 42, people, it translates it Gentiles. And context tells us that those people were Gentiles. So, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them con to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Now, know in verse 45 that Jews, it's really speaking to Jewish leadership. When the Jews, the leadership, saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict, cause up conflict with what Paul, the words that Paul was using. So this passage it really is an eye-opener, and it really does paint a picture, paints an image of the way that people respond to the gospel. It shows me and you, a couple thousand years later, it really shows us exactly what we can expect when we share the gospel, when we share our testimony, when we talk about our Jesus story to a world, and y'all know that term, Jesus story. If you're a Christ follower, you've got a Jesus story, and all of them are different. But they all end at the foot of the cross. But we all have a Jesus story if we are a Christian. And so our Jesus story, it needs to be shared to a world with a world that is desperately in need of it. And so what we'll see here is we're going to see three or four different responses from the folks here in, uh, in Antioch and Pisidia. The first thing that we're going to see, the first kind of response, is the Gentiles begged for more in verse 42. They begged for more. They wanted to hear more. They'd gotten sick and tired of the immoralities and the injustices in their society and all of their crazy, and you know, there were some crazy religions in that day, crazy pagan religions. And so all of their, their, their crazy, quote, empty religions had left them, imagine this, had left them empty really had left them completely empty, and they were hungry for more, and they were attracted in many ways to the Jews' morality and to the Jews' worship of one supreme God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They kind of they liked the way that looked and felt and sounded, but they didn't, know, they didn't know nothing about no scripture. They didn't know anything about the Bible, and that's kind of, I believe that's kind of the point. They understood you know, Paul just preaches this powerful message. You can go back and read it in, in the middle of, of Acts 13. But they understood very little about what Paul was preaching because they had never been taught Scripture. They didn't know anything about Scripture. The pages of Scripture reveal reveals God's character, and they knew nothing about that. And their friends and their family and their neighbors, they, did, they knew very little, if anything, about God's Word. 
and their religions that they had all across and all around the Mediterranean, all those crazy Zeus, Diana, crazy pagan religions. They knew nothing about nor taught anything about the, the truths of God. And definitely their environment, their society, their culture were anything but godly. But here's what we do know for sure. When Paul is in that synagogue and he's preaching the gospel, he's preaching a, 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 a dead guy walks into or is put into a grave and walks out alive. He's preaching a resurrected Messiah. He's preaching the gospel in that synagogue. People's hearts were touched. The gospel touched people's hearts. The Holy Spirit is working within them. The Holy Spirit is, is stirring them up. He's doing that thing that he does, and they wanted more. They wanted to hear more. They were hungry to understand. Well, what were they hungry to understand? Verse 42 says, these things. These things they wanted to understand. Well, what are these things? These things are number one, and you go back to verse 38 and 39, which is part of Paul's message. These things, number one, is the forgiveness of sins that Paul is talking about, verse 38, I think. And number two, the freedom in Christ, the liberty in Christ, the freedom from the bondage and the shackles and the chains of the law in verse 39. There's freedom in Christ. You do know that you are not shackled to the law anymore. There is liberty in Christ. And that's the these things that these people wanted to hear more about. They wanted to understand. You know, we don't, the Lord does not ask us for blind, ignorant faith. You do get to use your brain. And these people were starved for truth. They begged, the, the text says they begged to hear more. Well, let me, let me tell you something. There's a whole bunch of folks today I'm talking about in the 21st century who are ignorant of the scriptures. That doesn't equal they're dumb. That doesn't equal that there's a lack of intellect. They're ignorant of the scriptures. Why are they ignorant of the scriptures? They know very little about what we may preach here on Sunday mornings. They, they, they didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Maybe they haven't even really been exposed to believers. They sure hadn't picked up a Bible and read God's Word. Really, they never, many people, they've just never had the opportunity or they've never had any exposure to even in the Bible Belt where we live in the South. Maybe never really had any exposure to the gospel. I told y'all when I was 10 years old and we were behind the car at a stoplight and the bumper sticker said, Jesus saves. And I asked my dad, what does that mean? He had no idea. You think that's foreign. That's common, y'all. It's common. It's common. It may not be in the common in the little holy huddles that we all have all over our lives, but when you go out into the real world, it is super common. People have no idea about that which we preach. Maybe that's you today, and you know what? It's okay. It's okay. A lot, because I tell you this, a lot of times, folks like that, when they hear the truth, the Holy Spirit is able to do his thing much more easily than he can to a heart that's been hardened to the gospel. If you're a believer here today, that really ought to give you encouragement, but it also ought to challenge you to get after it 
because there is a world that is full of folks like that. And they may, part of that little bucket of people, no, part of that big bucket of people, is also, or are also people who may be steeped in religion, maybe steeped in, in, in the do's and the don'ts. And don't hear me wrong, the do's and the don'ts are not unimportant. They are important. But they're not the crux of the issue. Jesus is the crux of the issue. So there's a lot of people that may be steeped in religion, but they have no idea about the truths of, of Christ. And that those kind of people, y'all, they're soft and, and, they're, and they're ready to respond. They're ready to hear more. In fact, they're starved for more of the truth that Jesus saves, forgives, frees, and justifies. He justifies. That means you are made right before God. And he is the only way, and in this politically correct sort of world where everybody's truth is true, if it's true for them, y'all, it's nonsense. One plus one equals two. It doesn't equal three. Even if you believe that it equals three, it doesn't equal three. It equals two. The truth is, Jesus either walked out of a grave alive or he didn't walk out of the grave alive. And if you don't believe that he did, that doesn't change history, right? The truth is independent of our opinion. And people are starved for that. They thirst for that. There's something inside us that just craves that. The psalmist in Psalm 42, he said, my soul thirsts for God, the living God. So y'all, the first response that we see in Acts 13 to Paul's message, to this gospel message, is that some wanted more and they begged, the, they begged them to come back the next week and, he, and, and, and proclaim more truth. But there were some others, they wanted to hear more right then and there. They didn't want to wait till next week. They wanted to hear more immediately. Verse 43 tells us that after that meeting broke up, that many Jews... And converts to Judaism stalked Paul and Barnabas, followed them, chased them down the road. Who knows, they went down an alley and all these people are coming after them. Those were folks who had, the, the converts, who had become so impressed with Judaism that they had converted to the Jewish religion. Because that was a group of people that were also in that synagogue. And they couldn't wait till next week. They said, we ain't wait, we ain't wait until next week. They were too convicted. Y'all know the Holy Spirit convicts you. Typically, the Holy Spirit is convicting you of your sinful nature, right? Because you're not getting to the foot of the cross and getting saved until you own that you're a sinner. And for most of us, like, that's the hardest part of the whole deal because we all think that we're good. We're basically good. Well, evidence in Scripture would, would say otherwise. And so these people, they were, they were too convicted. They were too drawn to Christ and the hope of forgiveness, because that's the, these things that verse 42 talks about. They had to hear more right then and there. These are people who have they've, they've sought God. They, they believe in God. Their hearts are ready to hear the truths of Christ. Because you know... And you hear this sometimes when you hear somebody's testimony and you're in a one-on-one -on -one conversation and, well, I, I believe in God. 
okay, so is the devil. I mean, I'm not going to say that to somebody, but the reality is belief in God does not equal salvation. Y'all get that, right? Now, these people believed in God, and they believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jews and the converts to Judaism. So, but they, they're, they're, there's still something missing in there. They're seeking more. Their hearts were ready to, to receive the truth. They just needed Paul and Barnabas to pour into them a little more and get them across the finish line, so to speak. And so they follow them. And I believe the evidence of Scripture is that this group of people that followed them out and went down to hear more right then and there, those are people that gave their lives to Christ right then. And they're encouraged to, the Bible tells us, verse 43, this group of people is encouraged to continue on in the grace of God. The New Living Translation captures the nuance of that little phrase because it says to cling to to cling to, to cling to it, to rely on the grace, keep relying on the grace of God. That's what the NLT says. And so he's encouraging these people to cling to it, to hold on, to cleave to the grace, to keep on moving in the right direction. And I'm telling you today, yet when you get saved, what an incredible, monumental gigantic moment of life but God doesn't want you static he doesn't want you sitting in that in that moment he wants you to keep pursuing him and the Holy Spirit will will pour into you you know as you read scripture as you're as you give your heart to him and he justifies you and makes you right before a holy God And every day you pick up Scripture, the Holy Spirit is going to illuminate the text of the Scripture. And you're going to gain understanding. And you're going to grow and you're going to grow. Because He doesn't want you sitting still. He wants you chasing folks down the alley. Now, don't go out of here and accost somebody and say, well, preacher man, you said to tackle them in the fire. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. He encourages us, me and you, though, to continue on in the grace of God. And then God does this amazing thing in verse 44. The Bible says the next week, because they begged for more, right? They begged for them to come back next week. It says like nearly the whole city gathered up to hear the word. So some who never had attended, they came to hear the word of God. Well, what brought them that next week? I believe probably a couple of different things brought them. One is the natural hunger, the natural thirst inside of the human heart for truth. You may not ever even acknowledge that that exists in you, but it does. We want to know the truth. Now, we have to be willing to accept the truth for what it is and not predetermine what it is, but there's something inside of us that won't. That's that's probably one of the first reasons all these people came. And don't discount the news that that the the good news had kind of began to spread all over the place that there was preaching of the truth going on. And then don't discount this, that the the faithful work and the sharing and the witnessing of Paul and Barnabas from that Sabbath through the week to the next one. And the witness, the faithful witness of the people that got saved there on that Saturday. You think about this. 
how many churches across the globe would be filled up with people starved for the Word of God, starved for the truth, if we preach the truth like we should preach the truth, the whole truth, the whole truth, not dumbing it down, not making it fluffy, but just the truth, compassionately spoke the truth. Or, or if, 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 if all of us, and I mean cumulatively all of Christendom, if we were sharing and witnessing the way that we should be, or if I and the other leadership in our church and the leadership in every church all over the planet, if we, if we uh, were leading the people, the, the, the flocks of believers all over the place, to witness and share and invite the way that we should. Listen, if you're, if you're a believer, it ought to, it ought to make us weep the fact that when someone dies lost, they are in eternal torment. We don't ever want to talk about that. But people die lost every day. While we're not sharing, while we're not witnessing, while we're not loving on folks, they die lost. It ought to make us weep. And not, not sh- it shouldn't make us go sit on the couch and do nothing and weep. It should make us want to share. Not kill people, not beating them up upside the head with the Bible. That, that's not what I'm talking about. Share your Jesus story. If you're a believer, you got a story. And you may not think it's the most dramatic thing in the world, but let me tell you, I don't care how you got to Christ, but when a heart changes, that's dramatic. It's dramatic. And you may not have been in a foxhole having been blown up or something in the military and you gave your life to Christ. It doesn't matter how you got there. You got there and your heart changed. And that's a dramatic story that needs to be told to your friends and your family. Compassionately, though. So people are starved for truth, and people are starved for authenticity. We just got to invite them to come hear it. I give you my word. I'm giving you my word. You bring people here, they're going to hear the truth. They're going to hear the truth. So bring them. I can't help but speak. I can't help but speak the truth. Like I can't help but speak about the way that he changed my own heart. You think about Acts chapter 4, John and Peter. Are, are sort of on trial. And what they say in John 4, and I can't remember what verse it is because I don't think it's, it's not on the screen. You know, they said, we can't help but speak about what we saw and heard and witnessed ourselves. We can't help but do that, they said. It's just got to come out. It's just got to come out. So there were tons of people in Pisidian Antioch that flocked to the synagogue that next week to hear the good news. But then some of them said, no, 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 not so fast, not so fast. Look at verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. So some people rejected and opposed the message and the messenger. Some people rejected and opposed the message and the messenger. And there was probably several reasons why they did that. Number one, and probably foundational in the whole thing, is that they were filled up with envy and jealousy 
of what? Of the fact that Paul speaks and seven days later the whole city is busting the door down to hear what he's, they're jealous. They're jealous, dude. The place was, is filling up with people. And think about it, y'all. The place is filling up with people who are different. Different. It's filling up with people who've been told their whole life they're unclean and they're dirty and they're unwelcome. The place is filling up with people who are sinful. Ooh, sinners are coming in there. Think about it. That place is filling up with outsiders. Folks that are outside of their regular congregation. They're having their holy huddle, and all these outside people are coming in. Dirty and unclean and sinful. Different folks. Look different. Oh, my God, somebody walked in barefoot. Ugh. Got a torn shirt. They're dirty. Folks came in who had never attended that place before, never showed any interest, and therefore that, the, there were people that came in that were not supporting the priesthood of the ministry there. How dare all these sinful, imperfect, dirty, unclean, tattered clothes, how dare they come in that place? Let me tell you something. Bring them here. Please bring them here. Please find them and bring them here. I don't care, dirty, physically dirty, I mean. Like who could, different. Let us be the place where the different people go, where the crazy people go. Bring them. Bring them. They will hear the truth. So bring them. These folks were, were filled with envy and jealousy of, towards Paul and Barnabas because the guys were preaching a message that met the needs of the people, and the people were flocking to hear the message. And the rabbis in that synagogue were envious of that success. Misery loves company. And those rabbis wanted them to be as miserable as they were. Jealousy, envy, it's a terrible thing. It sounds so dumb to think about, but it's like when somebody has some crazy burning desire for the other person to be as miserable and unsuccessful as they are. Makes no sense. And then, and then they were, so they were opposed to, to Barnabas and, and Paul, envious of Barnabas and Paul. But they also opposed and rejected these things. Remember verse 42. They contradict, the scripture says, that they contradict what was spoken by Paul. Contradict what he's doing, contradict what he's teaching. And they're talking about forgiveness of sins and liberty and freedom in Christ. So they opposed both his ministry and his teaching. They actually spoke against the truth, contradicting what scripture was proclaiming. Paul's proclaiming what scripture proclaims and it ain't the new testament that he's preaching it's the old testament that he's preaching if you go back and you read that message it's the old testament so i'm telling y'all as you walk through every day of your life you walk through the day and and and, and some man i call them providential relationships when your path and another human's path cross it isn't random it isn't co coincidence but as you walk through the day 
wherever you are, at work, school, whatever it is, and you got the opportunity to, to talk to people about the Lord, expect some of them to ask for more. Expect some of them to ultimately give their lives to Christ. And yes, expect some to reject and oppose you. They may call you crazy. They may call you a religious fundamentalist. They may call you a holy roller Bible thumper. Like, I'm okay with that. Just expect those, those mixed results. I'd argue that if you're not getting rejected and opposed, then you're not sharing enough. So there's a little look at the responses a couple thousand years ago, the responses to the gospel. And those responses ain't no different today. And then let's look for a minute at, at the preacher's response to the people. Verse 46 and, and continuing on. Verse 46 says, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. This is targeted toward the Jews in that, in that place. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing, and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So we see the, the preachers reject the rejectors in verse 46. And you can almost hear Paul like leaning over to Barnabas and saying, I could have told you this was going to happen. Like I was afraid this was going to happen. I kind of knew this was going to happen. And then Paul in one sweeping sentence kind of acknowledged that his duty to proclaim the gospel first to the Jews was finished. That's what he says. The word of God had clearly been proclaimed to them, had it not? Go back and read that in, in the verses 30s in Acts 13. They received every opportunity, and they pushed, they pushed the word away. They rejected the word. And now it's Gentile time in that city. That's what Paul is saying. But you know, that was not a once and for all decision either. It applied to that local situation in Pisidian Antioch because as Paul travels, and we'll see this as we walk through Acts, as Paul traveled from city to city, it was the same formula. It was to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. And that phrase in verse 46, probably got it underlined, Judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Now, remember, he's talking to the Jews there. Judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. That's a little curious. And it's a little curious because I cannot imagine that these Jews ever thought of themselves as unworthy of eternal life. Quite the opposite. So what you see is a little sarcasm from Paul. 
you see a little Pauline like irony, like he was saying, oh, oh, you Jews who always consider yourselves so, so righteous. Apparently now you don't even think you're righteous enough for eternal life. Give me a break. That's kind of what Paul is saying. You're not righteous enough to take advantage of God's gift. Give me a break. But then it's like he says, well, okay, I'll just accept that. And so now we're going to see, we're going to offer this gift to the Gentiles, and we'll see what they say. And then he quotes Isaiah. He, he quotes a, a verse in Isaiah in chapter 49 and verse 6. And in, in Isaiah, Isaiah speaking with, with the Lord, and, and he says that Israel was to be a light for the Gentiles. You know, they sang a song, the, 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 the band sang a song a minute ago. It's talking about light in the darkness, that the darkness bows before him. Did y'all catch that line? What a beautiful line. You do know that at the end of the day, the darkness will bow before the light. And so, and so Isaiah is pinning this seven, eight hundred years earlier, that Israel was to be a light for the Gentiles, that the Jews, Abraham's called in Genesis called to go out. What's he called to go out and do? To go tell, the Lord is like, go tell the world about me. And so Isaiah, Isaiah pins this, that they're to be a light for the Gentiles. But Israel never really quite fulfilled that role. So God then decides, it's not exactly right. This was decided before the foundations of the world. It played out, you know, at the very beginning of the first century. God sends his son to become his real servant and carry that that light out, to carry that, that mission that Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah 49. And now you have Paul and Barnabas who get the baton. They're servants of Christ, and they are given the, the baton, taking the baton, and they are sharing the light in the darkness. That's what the missionary journey is. And don't you know 2,000 years later, any missionary journey, any mission trip, any outreach, any go out into the streets of Columbus, it is to take the light of Christ into a dark place. And it's messy. Y'all, it's messy. But the light overcomes the darkness. This last Monday night, we're out in the street on 3rd Avenue in front of Columbus Springs, I think is the name of it, on 3rd Avenue. And there's a gentleman there. He's probably about a couple years older than me maybe 57, 58 years old, clearly sort of distraught. There's about 30 people there probably. And one of our volunteers is talking to this guy. The guy sits down on the ground, and volunteer sits down with him. The guy is clearly or appears to be at the end of his rope, appears to be deep in a pit. He says, I've been drunk for over 40 years. You know, alcohol addiction is a pretty bad thing. And this guy just said, I've been drunk for over 40 years. He said, I want to stop. Later on in the conversation, he tells the volunteer, I want to stop. Stop what? I want to stop drinking. I want to stop drinking. I've tried a thousand times to stop. Volunteer says, who's, who's power? And he said, my power. I'm in control. Well, how'd that work out? the thousand times that you tried to stop drinking. He said it hadn't worked out. Volunteer said to him, Matthew records Jesus saying, 
Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. They said to him, do you want rest and peace and hope? He said, I do. Weeping, this guy's weeping. I do. Volunteer said, you want it tonight? I do. I do, I want it tonight. Well, two and a half hours later, that guy's checked into the Bradley Center. And hopefully, hopefully, yeah, that ought to get some kind of amens. Hopefully, you know, and in God's providence, we have somebody in our church who's a nurse at the Bradley Center, so the volunteer calls her, can we get him in? We got this guy, can we get him in Bradley Center? They say when, and we say, how about 10 minutes? <laughs> you know, it's funny, but it happened. It happened. Y'all, we are called to be the light in the darkness. And the darkness can get messy and dirty. And you got to get your in the weeds and you, your hands may get a little mud on them. That, but that's what we're called to do. And so what happened to the, to the Gentiles that heard all of this? Verse 48 says that they were hooting and hollering and, and, and rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And then Luke, the author of Acts, he makes sure that we understand that only those appointed to eternal life believed. Only those appointed for eternal life believed. Well, I, y'all, that's a tough one. And we've taught, huh? I know, right? It's a, that's a tough one. But I told y'all four years ago, we preach through the Bible, we're not avoiding the hard conversations. That's a tough one. John 6, 44. Jesus' words in John 6. Jesus' words, they're red. That's how I know. He said, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one unless the Father draws him. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says, he, talking about the Lord, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose. He chose us. Romans 8, verse 29. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined. But then John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever, whoever, not some, whoever, believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Listen, I could give you verse after verse after verse after verse about God choosing you. And I could give you verse after verse after verse about you choosing Him and your free will. Those two truths seem mutually exclusive they seem miles apart but we should hold both of those truths simultaneously even though it seems to defy human reason believing that if we had the mind of God which raise your hand if you've got the mind of God All right, I'm not conveying this right do, do you have God's mind Raise your hand. No, none of us have God's mind. We have our mind. I'm sorry, I shouldn't. I should. You know, when you're teaching, you should know the answer to the question before you ask the question. Here's what I'm saying. 
Those two things seem like they're in total conflict to a human mind. To a human mind that's also tainted by a sinful nature. But in God's mind, in God's mind, if we could really have his mind, there is no, there is no contradiction. There is no, whatever your view, the doctrine is election. And whatever your view is on election, it is impossible to avoid the doctrine in the pages of Scripture. And yes, it runs hand in hand with free will. 100% hand in hand with free will. Let me say it this way too. Harmonizing those two seemingly conflicting views, harmonizing those exists only in the mind of a loving and just and gracious God. Somehow, and like you got to be okay with tension. There are things that you can't be dogmatic about in Scripture. There are things that you can't be 100,000% certain on. The things that I believe, the things that the Lord wants you to be certain about are things that are crystal clear, black and white, certain in Scripture. Jesus died on a cross. Jesus' death on the cross made atonement for your sins. Jesus dead physically went in a grave that was sealed up. Jesus physically alive walked out of that grave. You can be certain about that. It's black and white in the pages of Scripture. There's lots of doctrine, not unimportant doctrine, but things that you have to be able to hold some healthy tension with. Some healthy tension. And so think about it. Somehow or the other, we know somehow God chooses us while at the very same time, from our point of view, we trust in him. We believe in him. We've chosen him. From God's perspective, looking at it through his set of lenses, he has teed up and made everything possible for that salvation choice to be made. Now look, I don't understand all that, but I know that I know that I said yes in my truck on January 17, 2001. There is no doubt that I know I said yes. There is no doubt that I know that he chose me because if he hadn't chosen me, there's no way I could have said yes. There's no way. I know I said yes, and I'm sure I'm saved. You know how I'm sure I'm saved? I was there. So I know it. I have no doubt. Y'all, he's made everything possible for that choice to be made. Sound like Forrest Gump, but, and that's all I'm going to say about that today. So now Paul and Barnabas, they're obedient to the call. And then the Holy Spirit does the thing that the Holy Spirit does. And then what happens? Verse 49 says that the gospel spread throughout the whole region. Y'all, when believers do what we're called to do, when we are obedient to what the Lord says, the Holy Spirit does the thing that he does. We're obedient to the word. The word, the gospel just transforms lives. So it says the gospel spread throughout the whole region in verse 49. And it spread not only by the gospel, by the, 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 the apostles' continued visits from city to city, bunches of other cities, but also because the new Gentile believers and even the new Jewish believers in Pisidian Antioch, they're telling their Jesus story to their friends, to their family, 
to their neighbors. They're sharing their testimony, their witness. Their lives are changed. People are seeing their lives change, even when words don't even come out of their mouth. People may see it from afar, see their lives. Well, their lives are different. I want to know what's, what, what made you change. Like, what's different about you? Well, let me tell you about who made me different. But then the Jews, verse 50, said, nope, we're putting the end to all this nonsense. And so the preachers are persecuted, and they're forcibly thrown out of the city. The Jews got their most influential women, got them all stirred up and fired up, and they got all their big shot husband, their, the muckety mucks of the city, and they throw them out. Now, in fairness to them, there's not craziness and mob violence, at least the pages of Scripture don't record that. They're not trying to actually kill uh, a Paul and Barnabas, at least Scripture doesn't say that, like they did when, when uh, the Sanhedrin stoned Stephen to death. Nonetheless, they got booted out. Paul even wrote about this later on in 2 Timothy when he's writing to Timothy, pouring into, into his spiritual son Timothy in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. He said, you, Timothy, however, have followed my teaching and conduct, and da 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 verse 11, you followed my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Okay, so they get tossed out, booted. What then? Verse 41 sounds a little strong. It says they shook the dust off their feet and they hit the road to Iconium. And that does sound strong. But they're just following the instructions, Paul and Barnabas, the instructions, directions that Jesus gave them for dealing with haters, for dealing with 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 unreceptive listeners, they symbolically, they shook the dust off the city as they were leaving town. Now, for me and you, I'm not going to pretend like that's not a tough line. It's not, it's not a tough thing to do, but it's a tough line to know when to do that. And that's something we got to talk about. We're not going to talk about that today. But that's something to think about, to pray about. Because at some point, but then you don't ever know when God is going to and the Holy Spirit is going to convict somebody. But for Paul and Barnabas, there was work to be done all over the place. So Scripture tells us they shook the dust off their feet and they hit the road. They were called to do what they were, what they were called to do, and they'd done what they were called to do. They'd preached the gospel. Some needed to hear more. Some embraced it and some rejected it. Paul and Barnabas hit the road to Iconium, which is about 80 miles uh, away from there. The new believers at, uh, at Pisidian Antioch and Paul and Barnabas, the text tells us, were filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet, despite the persecution, despite the opposition, despite getting thrown out, Paul and Barnabas were, in fact, filled with joy. They had lined their will up with the will of the Lord. They did what they were called to do. They were filled with joy in the face of the persecution, filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. James said, count it as joy, right, when the junk shows up in your life. Chapter 13, Acts, what an incredible chapter in God's grand narrative. The beginnings of this great first missionary journey that Paul leads. We saw in the last uh, several weeks 
We see Paul and Barnabas called by the Holy Spirit, commissioned and sent out by the church in Antioch in Syria. We see them preaching in Cyprus with John Mark. We see them leave Cyprus. John Mark goes back to Jerusalem. We see them leave Cyprus, head into Antioch and Pisidia. Today we saw huge blessings that happened there, and we saw conflict that happened there. This chapter is about evangelism. At the core of the core, chapter 13 in Acts is evangelism. Paul is an evangelist. Paul is the model of being an evangelist. The whole chapter is about evangelism. In our day, in the last 70 years maybe, a dude named Billy Graham, the evangelist of our day, and I've heard that he was at a conference in the late 60s, early 70s, an evangelism, imagine that, conference, when this image that you see behind me, and most of us have seen images from space a billion times, but in the late 60s, early 70s, that wasn't so much the case. So he's at this evangelism conference when this came back from Apollo 8, I think. Taken from the backside of the moon, looking back towards the earth, that beautiful blue sphere that all of us live on. In all the years, that picture, it's iconic. It's been shown, displayed thousands and thousands of places, millions of times. And me and you have probably become accustomed to thinking about things are so big. The world is so big. The solar system is so big. And the universe is, is just so big so big we're part of this gigantic massive thing but Billy Graham when he saw this when the world saw it on the TV that night for the very first time he looks at that and he said Lord it's so small let's just reach out and take it let's just reach out and take it y'all that's that's what we're called as Christ followers to do to go out and take the world for the sake of Christ. It's what we're called to do. Every missionary, every evangelist, every just every believer, we should all have that same mindset. We make stuff too big. We make stuff too complicated. We make stuff too hard. We think about language problems and, and, and communication problems. We think about fear problems. We think, I'm scared. I just don't want to talk to anybody. I'm not good at at talking about the Lord. We make every, there's just problem after problem, after a thousand other problems. And you know what? I'm not saying that life's going to be problem free. I'm not going to say that sharing the gospel is not going to be problem free. Because the devil is going to do every single thing that he can do to jump in the gap and stop you from doing that. He is. He is. We got to kick his tail, right? All these problems that 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 our mind immediately goes to somehow we gotta we gotta see it from God's perspective it is his world it's his world and we are called to be his light to the people that live on that beautiful blue sphere here's what history would have would tell us he can overcome all of those obstacles 
He has overcome all those obstacles, and he will overcome all those obstacles that you and I face in sharing his grace with the lost. And I'm not saying that every one of us in this room, everyone in the earshot, is called to stand on a street corner and scream out the gospel. There are statistically, every human on the planet has 286 people that they know. It's odd that I know that statistic, but that's a statistic. Well, if this guy's a civilian contractor at Fort Benning, he's got a bunch of people that he's friends with out there. My story going to be meaningful to them or his story? His story, it's his friends, it's his neighbors, it's his family. And it's your Jesus story. And if you're a believer, you have one. And you can take it to the bank that all of your friends and all of your family that don't know the Lord, they have something missing inside of them and they're yearning for truth. They may not say to you, Jessica, I'm yearning for truth. They're not, but they are yearning for truth. They're starved. They're starved. The human heart is no different than it was 5,000 years ago. No different. No different. And they want authenticity. And they want to see brokenness. Every one of us is broken. Own it. Like, own it. I lead this church with, I'm limping on both ankles. All of us are the same in that. But you know, it's crazy. In the middle of all that, God loves us. That's what people need to hear. They need to hear your story. And, you, and, and, and let me give you a, a few final thoughts as we close this out. Number one, what I just was talking about. The Lord will remove the obstacles. He will remove the obstacles. But let me give you a few final thoughts. Number one is this. People that are called by God will be effective in His work. God does not ask you to do something that he will not equip you to do. If you are called to do his work, you will be effective, number one. Number two, believers, Christians, should support those who represent Christ out in the world. We should support those who represent Christ locally. Evangelists, missionaries, locally, in the state, in the country, and out in the world. Our little church, we support FCA, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, because they are in front of, on any given month, 50,000 students. We support Financially Sound Choices Pregnancy Center. They share the gospel with every human that walks in the door. And babies are saved because a, a, a woman in crisis walks into that building. We support Sound Choices. We support the FCA. Our church supports M2540, the homeless ministry. We support them because that ministry is out in the street sharing Christ to a lost and dying world week in and week out. Christians should support people that are out there. Number two, number three, when we share the gospel, when you share the gospel, you better expect mixed results. Expect mixed results. If you don't get mixed results, you're not sharing enough, I don't imagine. Number four, when the gospel is proclaimed, the people that God has called to himself, they will believe. We are not called to save people. We cannot save people. We can't. What does Acts 1-8 say? Our charge is to be his witness. He will do the saving. I don't understand how that works. I'm not called to understand how it works. I'm called to be obedient to what he says to do. Go be my witness. 
It's not hard. It's not complicated. It doesn't take a seminary degree or a PhD. Go be my witness. That's what he says. Those are Christ's last words on the planet. Go be my witness. He'll do the work after we go be his witness. You and I need to be available for whatever God wants us to do, whenever he wants us to do it, and wherever he wants to send us. And that can be a little scary. Trust me, that can be a little scary. We need to be committed to praying that there will be willing workers for the harvest in 2022. All over the planet, Columbus, Georgia, the southeast, the whole country and the planet. We need to pray that there will be willing workers to go do the work. Willing Pauls and willing Barnabases. And as a Christ follower, for the sake of Christ, you should have a strong understanding of the gospel. You should be able to present it clearly. I don't mean you should be C.S. Lewis. I don't mean you need to be R.C. Sproul. I'm not saying that. It's your story. Be able to express that and convey it clearly. There is a world out there, whether you believe it or not, that needs to hear your Jesus story. Reach out and take it. And y'all, if you ain't got a Jesus story, we'll see if we can do something about that right now. If you don't have one, I've, I've probably shared that the gospel five times today, probably. He did, in fact, die on that cross a couple thousand years ago, and that did, in fact, that death did make atonement for sin. That blood was spilled across that cross 2,000 years ago. And that death did make atonement. That death did pay the price and the penalty for your sin. And he was put in the grave, dead and came out alive, made of eternal life available to, to, to all of us that would accept that. I don't know who's appointed. I don't know who's not appointed. I know that everybody in heaven said yes. So y'all pray with me. Lord, I know that we have to hold things that we may not be able to fully understand, that we have to hold those things in tension sometimes. Lord, but we don't have to hold the gospel in tension. Lord, it is crystal clear what's in the bullseye. It's crystal clear, Lord, that you died on a cross out of the most amazing, gigantic, enormous act of love and justice and compassion in all of history. But Lord, I know that there are people that are hearing this and they do have to say yes. They do have to say, I believe that. I confess my sin. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that I have need for what happened on that cross and I believe all of it and cry out to you to save them and I know and I trust and I believe that you are not a God that would ever say no to that cry you are a God that would say yes 1000% of the time 
And so, Lord, I pray that there are people hearing this today, hearing this message, hearing your gospel, that will cry out to you right now. And if not right now, Lord, that they will consider that offer and come to know you in a saving way. So, Lord, I lift them up to you. I lift our city up to you. I lift our country and the world up to you. And I pray, Lord, that you would keep giving us the heart to go take it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.